Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat Podcast. We are solution architects and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we dive deep, demystify technology and talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and Deep Tech Dives in topics of interest. Hello, my name is Shane Baldacino, and this is episode 77 of the AWS Tech Chat podcast. And for today's show, I'm once again joined by a new voice behind the mic. I seem to be making a habit of this of late. But in today's themed episode, I wanted to get someone suitably qualified for the job. And I welcome to Tech Chat, Darko Messeros. Welcome, Darko. Hey, Shane. Thank you very much for having me here. And um, good on you for pronouncing my last name okay. So <laughs> very good. How many takes did we have to have for that? Uh, too, too many, too many. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me here. Okay. So look, listeners, it's our alternate episode. reInvent has not yet arrived with goodies to cover. So in this episode of AWS Tech Chat, driven by listener feedback, AWS Tech Chat at Amazon.com, we're going to have an infrastructure as code themed special. Now, looking back through the show archive, I think the last time we covered anything of this nature was episode 49, where we spent an episode talking about CDK. So, Darko, tell us a bit about yourself and your sprawling YouTube channel, Rup12. I think now it's it's approaching about 100 videos. And let me say, there is definitely production value in those videos. You have spent some time. Uh, Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Shane, for uh, shilling my content. Um, So, (laughs) hey, uh, just to introduce myself, as you already did, my name is Darko Mesaros. I'm a developer advocate. Um, I work for AWS. Uh, I'm based out of Berlin, Germany. So um, currently it's 10 a.m. my time or thereabouts. Uh, We are kind of split into time zones and... um, Hopefully the latency is not too bad. <laughs> and um, yes, uh, I've been working for AWS for the last five years. Um, my job is basically to talk to you, our lovely community members, developers, about technology, to try to be your voice within AWS. And um, in the light of the current situation, I've decided to, hey, why don't I use my uh, quote-unquote powers of teaching content to record things and put them on the YouTubes? So yeah, uh, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, it's it's a very fledgling YouTube channel. 1,080 subscribers, I think, since this morning. Uh, roughly hundreds, hundred-ish videos, I believe. Um, but um, uh, most of the videos are recordings of my Twitch stream. So yes, I do Twitch as well. And there are some additional videos on it. Um, but as you said, the, the production quality, I wouldn't call it amazing um <laughs> i'm a person who picked up the the video editing software and tried to do things with it so it's it's, it's okay um I, I try to spice it up a bit but yeah um don't expect hollywood excellent look it's actually pretty good um i think you got to give yourself a little bit more credit there and hey like you know with a thousand plus uh fledgling subscribers you might be able to build some iot based raspberry pi arduino lcd screen you could have like all your um you know subscriber count there you go there you go yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) okay listeners so look infrastructure as code it's one of those terms darko that can mean different things to different people and before i ask you what it means I'm going to you know, give you a few minutes to think about this, and I'm going to cut to some news around AWS because, listeners, reInvent is right around the corner. It's actually next week. Now, what goodies will be announced? Do we have any tips here, Darko? Oh, well, um, so um, I cannot 
gonna confirm or deny anything unfortunately <laughs> there are some goodies coming out i'm pretty excited about a few things that i've heard especially in the space that i work in uh so uh, i i am i am I'm as excited for for this year's reInvent as last year's, but I think even more because we had so many good things in the pre-event time uh, that um, I believe that the actual reInvent launches will be that much more amazing. So, Excellent. So look, November 30 through to December 18, three weeks of goodies. The usual keynotes from Jassy, Werner, plus Peter DeSantis, Monday Night Live, um, plus there's going to be an ML keynote, which will be a first reInvent. Um, so look, if ML is your thing, and let's be frank, it's almost everyone's you know thing these days. Be sure to tune in. You look as a longtime Amazonian. What is your favorite part of reInvent? Um, so okay, uh, longtime Amazonian. Uh, I've been to reInvent twice, unfortunately, only twice in my five, five years at Amazon. But my, my favorite part of um, reInvent is. 4 a.m. at Denny's. Um, so, <laughs> so this is a thing where. Uh, we from Europe who fly into to to Las Vegas, uh, the first day of uh, of reInvent, we meet at Denny's, the local Denny's at 4 a.m. because everybody's jet lagged and we have the breakfast with all the community members and AWS tech folks. So it's the best um, hallway track you can have. But um, in all seriousness, the, the best part of 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 reInvent is the hearing about the latest new services. Uh, hearing the community members speak. So it's not like, oh, here's a person from Amazon, let them speak. No, no, it's the people who use AWS and heroes and builders and folks who well, uh, who use AWS for a living uh, when they speak about our services and products and what they manage to build and create is that's just what, what, what makes me love listening to reInvent. Yeah, it's always great to hear, you know, what customers are doing with our products here. So look, to recap, an 18-day window, plenty of time to absorb these sessions, multiple languages. Um, and look, for those, you know, in this time working from home or embracing remote learning, great way to scratch an itch in the comfort of your own home. Okay, so look, region-wise, still at 24 with South Africa and Milan, the most recent coming online. CloudFront added a few new edge locations in the last month. So 225 plus with the addition of edge locations in Thailand, two of them, both in Bangkok, users can expect a 30% reduction in P90 latency times if you're in Thailand. And with every edge location we add, we extend the reach of CloudFront, allowing bits to get to end users faster. So given that they are in Thailand, they are priced within the APAC region and they are tied to the Singapore regional edge cache. Okay, so look, that's a wrap, nice and quick. Let's get done with the news. So, Darko, let's get going here. So, right. textbook textbook definition of infrastructure as code is the process of managing and provisioning computer data centers through machine-readable files, you know, rather than physical hardware configuration, you know, rewind 10, 15 years ago when you need to procure rack and stack. So, these definitions may be in a version control system, you know, such as Git, um, you can use scripts, declarative definitions, rather than a manual process. But the term is more often used to promote declarative approaches, and that's what I want to hone in today, you know, the declarative part. So given, you know, we've had a bit of time to have a think about this, what's your take on infrastructure as code? So um, I, I, I must preface this, but I'm, I'm very biased. I'm, I'm a massive fan on anything that can be done within a text editor and the command line. So... Uh, I'm I'm relatively young in the IT world compared to some of my other colleagues, uh, but uh, I've 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 started off in the process of hey, I was a server provisioning administrator. That was one of my previous job titles, and my job was to provision infrastructure and um, provisioning infrastructure back then. And that was like eight years ago, not so long ago, but uh, yeah, it was all manual. 
it was, hey, Darko, make sure that 500 servers in Fairbanks, Alaska are deployed, OS installed them and configured, and you have six months. So that took a while. <laughs> and uh, the room for mistake was massive. So when I kind of, when, when infrastructure as code was dawned upon me that, hey, how about you write this in a lovely text file, not a script, a text file where you describe like a, like a, 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 a cookbook instruction. Hey, this is how your server should look like. This is how it needs to be configured. I want this as part of my server. I want this as part of my network. Make it happen. Um, that kind of that kind of blew my mind, and, and and the ability to deploy those 500 servers, especially with the cloud, um, <laughs> went from six months to you know uh, 45 minutes, which is um, which is at the end of the day uh, quite quite a big leap in all of that stuff. So that's 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 a part of why I'm a big fan of, of that, those things. Okay. So look, if I look back through my career, look, and it's been a while, I started clicking my way through IS4, you know, adding websites in a hosting business I ran. It definitely didn't scale. And that was a driver for myself to learn VBScript and ADSI to be able to manipulate the IS metabase. And for those not down with IS, it's the Internet Information Server, so Microsoft's version of Apache. So code to me meant back then, you know, what would take 15 minutes to perform took a few short seconds, but I think most importantly, and for, you know, our customers and listeners of the show, it means, you know, the process was consistent. No settings were missed by, you know, us unreliable humans. And I'm unsure, you know, if you're building these 500 servers, Darko, how many of them were, you know, snowflakes or, you know, yeah. individual machines here? And well, it, it, even, if, even if a lot of them were all the same, the process was literally just a manual runbook doing this thing. And yes, of course, some of them, hey, you have to take 10% of them and configure them in such a way. You have to track how much of them have you configured in such a way. And um, there was little to no automation there. So the room for error was just just overwhelming. And of course, out of those 500 servers, I had to mess up 50 at least. So, uh, <laughs> you know, redoing stuff. Because especially, here's the thing. Um, the way you install OS on them was uh, you boot the server up, you take your favorite Java-based remote administration utility, you pop in your ISO, and there you go. So no matter how skilled you are, <laughs> statistically, in 500 servers, you're going to make a mistake. So yeah, <laughs> it was not yeah. fun too much. So look, what I just described for myself was that light bulb moment. You know, it was the beginning. You know, things went from VBScript to PowerCLI on VMware to Windows PowerShell DSC to CloudFormation and now CDK. But the tenants have remained the same, you know, being able to describe everything, you know, as you've just mentioned from your network stack, you know, your subnets, uh, everything from, you know, your storage, your EBS volumes, uh, you know, configuration in a piece of code and then version control it, you know, that really sealed the yep. deal. So I guess, you know, what was your light bulb moment in the world of infrastructure as code? Well, my, my light bulb moment was um, uh, the fact that I could right now deploy, configure and operate my infrastructure from a text file. So um, I, I know that's not the whole, you know, whole, you know, whole point of this. But the ability to have a very clear overview of how my infrastructure look like, looks like, how is it configured, and what changes have I made to it, as you said, with version control, is something that, that yeah, made me like, oh, oh yeah, this, this is it. This is what, what we need to make, especially things at cloud scale, uh, viable, right? It, it's fine if you have a couple of Snowflake servers sitting in your data center, but um, um, 
once you once you reach that uh, big number mark, uh, whatever that may be, um, you definitely need to find a way to orchestrate it much better. And and it's not just about provisioning, as I said. It's also about configuring. It's also about operating. It's also about doing things on those things. So um, um, I don't know. Uh, for me, for me, the biggest the biggest biggest shocker was that hey. I can actually do this from a very old laptop, so <laughs> that kind of a moment. So it, it, it helps. <laughs> it helps you, especially if you're coming for operations. Somebody comes to you and saying, "Hey, um, we need to change the configuration on our server," and I can literally whip up my phone, change the thing at GitHub, and have it deploy. So amazing. Yeah, part of you know your build pipeline. Uh, exactly. Some things you know, watching your um, repository. There's a bit of a trigger, and away you go. Yep. And I think you know, look, cloud. You know, many customers look at one of the key tenets of cloud is elasticity. And whilst it appears like magic, you know, it's maybe partially true for serverless offerings. If we look at the traditional compute concepts, you know, a la virtual machines, infrastructure as code is a core component of this. And I like to tell customers, you know, elasticity is often the cherry on the cake of a lot of hard work. And it's infrastructure as code that is often the real hero and hard work behind the scenes. Because, you know, how are you going to be adding new machines to your auto-scaling group? You know, it's not magic. You know, it does require a bit of code at heart here. You know, perhaps you've got a golden Amy, or maybe you start off with Amy Amazon machine image, or you start off with a base image and then use configuration management. But, you know, you need a means to configure and version your infrastructure here. Yeah, exactly. And, and so when it comes to elasticity and scalability on the cloud, the cloud only gets you so far. Uh, you reach into bottlenecks, which is people, right? You can you can perform a certain task only so much. Um, and then, well, you, you reach into a problem like, okay, how many people do I need to keep on provisioning and changing settings on my servers manually uh, before I can reach that cloud velocity? So, uh, and 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 speaking of, of AWS and the cloud, be mindful. Everything on the cloud is an API call, right? Everything is code. It's not like we have we have invented something new. It already is code. We're just finding a way for you to access it in a much better way, uh, rather than clicking and then and, and SSHing into things. So yeah. Yeah, and look. You know, I mentioned Snowflake and look, for those who aren't familiar that term, you know, Snowflake, effectively, you know, every Snowflake is unique here. So look, when you've got humans configuring and touching servers, they are, you know, ultimately going to be configured slightly different and they're going to be Snowflaked here. Um, And, you know, some organizations I've worked in have codified these policies here from, you know, not initially being able to, uh, you know, deploy machines, you know, with RDP or SSH open through to, you know, if someone does SSH into a machine, it's detected and it's pulled out of service instantaneously because, you know, we don't want humans here being able to misconfigure. So, the, you know, the proper way to make changes would be, as you mentioned before, you know, maybe not using your mobile phone, but, you yeah. know, maybe <laughs> open up that old laptop, edit yep. the text editor, you know, check this back into your source repository and away you go again. Exactly, it's trackable, it's auditable, and again, um, it it removes it. Well, it, it, it introduces a bit of abstract to your systems, but it removes even the snowflakenesses, or if that is a word, uh, even the snowflake types of accesses to the servers, right? So, and 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 you know, us system admins, engineers, whatever you like to call them, um, everybody has their own way of doing things, right? Oh, I'm going to use this client. I'm going to use that client. This is how I'm. This is this is the command I'm going to run. Once you codify it, once you put this into configuration management or infrastructure as code, 
you don't have to worry about people inventing their own ways of doing things. Uh, this is the way we do things and then let some other abstract layer handle all of that on the server itself. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before I snuck in the term configuration management. So, you know, I guess I'll ask you, you know, is there a demarcation between infrastructure as code versus configuration management? Because typically infrastructure as code, you know, describes code to build, say, a virtual machine or virtual infrastructure, whereas configuration management is the settings and or pointers in software, you know, that you configure on your OS, you know, how do you configure your stack to be ready for serving traffic? So I guess the question I'll ask is, you know, does infrastructure as code and configuration management go hand in hand? So um, there's a whole, you know, uh, religion around this right now. So it's, um, I would say that the, the demarcation is less clear now than it used to be. So in the past, uh, you would have infrastructure as code. Now, when I say in the past, I mean five years ago. Um, uh, you have you would have infrastructure as code, a thing that would provision your EC2 instances, your VPCs, your databases. And then you would have configuration management, something like uh, Ansible, Chef, Puppet, SaltStack, that would configure the operating systems on those servers, right? Install packages, configure users, configure services, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, but with the with the ever-present serverless workloads out there, um, infrastructure or the way you configure infrastructure is actually the way you configure your application because infrastructure is much more tightly connected with your applications than before, right? Before you had this general purpose infrastructure that would do things or host things on it. But now your infrastructure pieces, your NoSQL tables, your uh, Cognito user pools are part of infrastructure, but they're in essence part of your application configuration. So the line is getting a bit blurred, I would say. And also um, uh, we have introduced something, well, not we, but something has been introduced that kind of drops um, a spanner in the works when it comes to configuration management because we can talk about different types of configuration management. There is the OS configuration management, the OG, hey, let me run Chef to install a service. Or there is the application configuration management. Let me set this parameter or a feature somewhere out there which my application can reference and I can change that configuration uh, item um, on my will so I will change the specific configuration parts of my application. So this is where we also get a, a slight abstraction, but we can get into that um, once we once we start discussing a bit more on, on what options exist out there. So yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Look, I think you're, you're right. You know, that line is becoming even more blurred. You know, I was going to follow up with, you know, the serverless changes, but I think the answer is absolutely. I think, absolutely. you know, over time, you know, as customers end users embrace serverless more and more, you know, that line is becoming less on the infrastructure as code side of things and more, you know, skewing towards configuration management of, right. you know, your serverless solution here. And, you know, when I'm, uh, you know, speaking with customers, we're talking about, you know, maybe building a new application. My default stance is always to start these days with serverless. If serverless is not applicable, we'll go back to containers Correct. and then finally back to virtual machines. So, you know, things are changing. Um, you know, yep. you mentioned five years ago, who knows where things are going to be in another exactly. five years. Exactly. And I, th I think the whole point is here to um, lead, uh, take, uh, uh, well, in insert abstraction so you can actually focus 
on your core business, right? So, um, and 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 this is silly coming from me as a sysadmin that I uh, I was I think I thought infrastructure was my life. That was the that was the most important thing in my company. My network setup and my my databases and my my Windows Active Directory servers. Mm. But the core of my company was my company's application that was making the money, <laughs> not my mix of my my, my uh, Active Directory servers. Um, so, um, by giving away people uh, giving people a way to abstract those things, not to have to worry about you know configuring those things and and provisioning those things and just focusing on the business logic the application this is where you know hey the entire 2020 cloud benefit goes into yeah look it's high value versus low value yeah and you know my background is somewhat similar you know very long hosting background you know it's great to you know keep active directory online and yep. look after your sands and you know your um Blade servers and, you know, everything that goes along, you know, Mellanox, uh, InfiniBand and Fiber <laughs> Channel and all that stuff, right? Yep. But it's not adding value exactly. to the business. And we are shifting more and more, even, you know, EC2 changed things completely, you know, everything API driven. Yep. But it's changing once again, you know, and I think it's in that constant state of change. And I think once you recognize that, you know, you always need to constantly be learning, you know, not just, uh, you know, I used to write a lot of VB script for ages and ages and ages and ages before, you know, I thought, well, you know, I always used to think to myself, you know, well, I can just do this in VB. I can just do this in VB before yep. learning PowerShell, before learning Python, before, you know, learning different other languages here. I think, you know, as we all evolve in our IT careers here, we need to, you know, take a step back and see where the industry is going and, you know, understand how are we adding business value here? Indeed, and sometimes we we as 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 very very proud system engineers, sysadmins, uh, we like we kind of um, focus on one thing too much, and we cannot see the wood from the trees, right? Uh, trees <laughs> trees from the wood, yeah, that way. Uh, so um, we we kind of you know laser focus into this one thing, and we need to take a step back from one, from time to time and just kind of have an overview of what are we actually doing? Can we do it a bit better? And I think like infrastructure as code and configuration management as code or everything as code helps us do that especially from an engineer mindset because you can always take your your little text file your yaml template your json object your your typescript uh, cdk document and look at it and see yeah this is what i'm doing maybe i can change this to make it much much better so it's it's much much less abstract even though it's more abstract yeah look absolutely here so look, we've just spoken about, you know, configuration management. We've given, you know, a little bit of a background in here. I guess, Darko, what does AWS offer in this space here? So when it comes to configuration management, so um, AWS offers a couple of things here. Uh, and again, it's I, I want to differentiate between um, the standard or OG configuration management and the new application configuration management, if that makes sense. So... Um, one part, the the standard, um, uh, I wouldn't call it legacy because it's not legacy. That's a, that's a bad term. The, the traditional approach to configuration management with tools such as Chef and Puppet and Solstack and Ansible, um, AWS offers a couple of things. Um, all of those things evolve or revolve around the management and governance services, namely Systems Manager, AWS Systems Manager, and AWS OpsWorks. So um, if you wish to run your Ansible playbooks, and Ansible is a lovely tool that you run your, basically it will configure your OS on a 
depend, depending on what kind of a YAML file you pass it on. And YAML file contains basically, hey, install these packages, set up these users, install these services, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, um, Systems Manager can actually, actually execute these playbooks and Ansible on your managed EC2 instances uh, or managed instances. It can also be on-premises. So um, this is where your Ansible approach works into, into AWS. And with the features such as State Manager and Run Command, it's it's relatively seamless to do it on AWS. Um, but if you want a fully-fledged configuration management experience with a configuration management server, such as Chef or Puppet, uh, or Chef Automate and Puppet Enterprise, um, Opsworks has you covered. Opsworks uh, offers a fully managed um, Chef and Puppet server on AWS. So if you ever wanted to have a fully managed Chef or Puppet server, uh, you can actually do it through Opsworks where you would one-click provision a server and you can um, you can basically bootstrap your EC2 instances, on-prem instances, or, or whatever you would like to that Chef or Puppet server and have them being configured by that. Now, uh, not getting too, in too deep into how Chef and Puppet works, but again, it's it's basically defining how do you wish to configure your servers through a set of declarative text files. Um, they look differently for each. Chef has things called cookbooks because everything with Chef is a cooking pun. Um, <laughs> by the way, try buying a Chef t-shirt. It's impossible. <laughs> Googling for a Chef, a, a software Chef t-shirt is impossible because you will only get offered chef t-shirts like actual cooking chef t-shirts okay and puppet has this thing called manifests and modules um where um they kind of perform the same thing they even look relatively similar but they're not um but yes those are two opt those are the two options on aws that you can use those services what about puppet t-shirts <laughs> puppet t-shirts ah um Yes, uh, puppet t-shirts. I, I would I would say are easier to buy than chef t-shirts, but uh, <laughs> I I must say I, I don't have a puppet t-shirt yet. I have a puppet hat. Uh, buying a chef hat is more difficult. I would say, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um it is it is it is um, both of those services are the benefit of, of both chef and puppet, especially on AWS, is that you have this massive community behind it. Now, yeah. um, people would you would people would come and argue like, oh well, Darko, hey, everything is serverless. You know why would you I need uh, why would I need a chef or puppet? Not everything is serverless. <laughs> so uh, that's very important to understand. There are requirements where people have to run things on an EC2 instance. Hybrid environments, people run things. Hey, how do you manage configuration across EC2 instances and your on-premises servers? You can run things like chef and puppet where you would basically manage do- manage the configuration for both of those from a single pane of glass. So um that's that's kind of a, a great way great reason to have those things as well so yeah so look firstly whilst you were speaking i was popping into my favorite search engine here mm-hmm. you know puppet t-shirts they're a thing you know they're i think thing? we'll be okay, able to good. get you on there good. but look <laughs> to give you you know hit the nail on the head here look you know we know the world is not orange you know aws and customers are after yep. choice so you know Puppet, Ansible, Terraform, etc. You know, this is going to allow that hybrid infrastructure as code approach between your on-premises environment and, you know, with inside AWS here. So if you need a more holistic approach, you know, these, uh, I guess, more open industry solutions may be, you know, of value to your business. Correct, correct. Uh, so not everything is, as you said, uh, is, is very clear-cut. Sometimes you need to have... Um, mix and match different configuration uh, approaches. And again, Opsworks, 
uh, provides you with the chef and puppet options, which are just great and have a great history. And I've been working with a lot of customers, big customers out there who fully embrace chef and puppet, um, chef or puppet. Um, and, and Opstrokes is a great way to do it. And I think uh, one, one of the, one of the differentiate, differentiating factors that Opstrokes brings into the, entire, into, into the entire configuration management game is um, not just the fact that it's a fully managed server, but it also gives you a bit of the a bit of cloud spice to it in a sense that for both chef and puppet especially the enterprise versions you have to pay licenses for each of the nodes being managed um what AWS offers you here is you're being charged per license hour so you don't have to go ahead and buy a bulk of licenses to use you can basically manage your server and when you no longer need to manage it you will not be charged licenses for it so that's that's a that's a that's a really neat thing to have um on, on, on Opsworks as well, besides having yeah. additional things like integration with IAM and giving the ability to bootstrap instances if they have permissions to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Look, a lot of uh, you know traditional COTS applications can often struggle, you know, with that elasticity model in cloud, particularly around licensing. Correct. Okay, so you know, if we I guess pivot back more into AWS centric tools here, I think you know the. When I, when I think infrastructure as code and when I think AWS, the first thing that comes to my mind is CloudFormation. Correct. So CloudFormation has been around you know, quite a long time. A oh, lot yeah. of these, I guess, newer approaches, ultimately their artifacts is still CloudFormation. So look, listeners, if you aren't familiar, AWS CloudFormation is an easy way to model a collection of AWS and third-party resources, provision them you know, quickly, consistently, infrastructure as code here, uh, manage them throughout a life cycle. So CloudFormation, it's a text file, you know, it's going to describe your desired resources, their dependencies. You can, you know, configure them as an application, which is called a stack. You can use templates to either create, update, delete. Um, you can do this as often as you need to. And you can provision your stacks across multiple AWS accounts and AWS regions. So you can just stamp out your infrastructure here. So look, with CloudFormation, you can effectively, you know, they used to remember a T-shirt floating around in Australia. You know, I built my data center in five minutes. So look, yep. you can build your data center in five minutes. It may be a little longer, but look, you get my drift here. So from defining VLAN storage, security, VMs, you know, everything that once took ages, CloudFormation made this process rather simple. You can define as JSON and recently, and I say recently in the last few years, as yeah. YAML as well. Um, you can version control that, store it in your in your you know repository here. And look, I'll tell you a story, Darko. Look, when this whole cloud thing was new, and whilst my de facto position to customers today is to start serverless, as I mentioned, right. and work backwards, um, you know, through containers and VMs and EC2s. When I used to work in a prior role, and EC2 was you know the latest and greatest thing here, rather than go through the whole Microsoft Patch Tuesday event. We would simply version control our infrastructure. You know, AWS, we release new patched versions of AMI, so from, you know, major operating system vendors. Yep. So when Microsoft released a new version of Windows Server 2012 at the time, we just update the CloudFormation reference to the AMI ID and away we go. You know, how powerful is that? Yep, that's just amazing. I, I, always, I always take the example of... Um, I, uh, the company I used to work at uh, before, we would um, uh, we would um, implement SAP HANA, right? SAP HANA, the the big old chunk of software, mm. and it would the implementation of that, the um, the setup, the all of that took like weeks. It took 
man manpower and weeks and all that stuff. Um, there's a quick start template for CloudFormation. It will deploy a fully blown subhana cluster in your AWS account in two hours. So um, <laughs> just that that fact that you you can do all of those things in a, such a fast way, like. Let me talk to 10-year-ago Darko, the, the server provisioning administrator, Darko. Those 500 servers um, <laughs> would take much less time to deploy right now than six months <laughs> it took that year. That year. So um, uh, it's, it's, it's just just amazing. And, and, and to kind of um, to, to, to mention the topic of JSON versus YAML, um, I remember when I started with AWS, we only had JSON with CloudFormation. I mean, it was good. Um, the problem with JSON is that it's not very readable um it's json and it's uh, doing things in json especially if you have to type json is is problematic json is an amazing object notation but um <laughs> typing and reading json is, is always a uh, always always fun uh so when yaml came out and you can put in comments and you have some of those lovely intrinsic functions oh just great just 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 so much better that it is so look i think another thing that is amazing with CloudFormation and look at our marketing may not describe this is, you know, you just talked about SAPANA there, you know, mm-hmm. old Darko is probably, you know, maybe dealing with eight RU servers for, you know, yeah. SAPANA, <laughs> these big monster machines, but a lot of people, there is a lot of CloudFormation out on the internet. You know, yep. you could just put into your favorite search engine, CloudFormation, Elasticsearch, CloudFormation, you know, this and that you'll often find snippets of code out there that you can just, you know, cut and, you know, make your own CloudFormation templates. You know, incredibly powerful. A lot of the heavy lifting has been done out there. There has never been a time, you know, unless, you you know, you're doing something on the bleeding edge here for vanilla, uh, you know, pieces of work that you need to do. There is often CloudFormation out there on the internet to which you can leverage. Plus is obviously, you know, fantastic AWS documentation. Absolutely, um, and this is this is also a thing. So, uh, step back a couple of years, Shane. Um, if you wanted to share the way you do things with your colleague, you would have to show that person, or maybe share your VB script, and hopefully, it works on his computer. Um, so, right now, with things like CloudFormation, you can just give them access to that repository or give them that YAML slash JSON file, and in most cases, that would be enough, right? So um, that's that's also the benefit of it. It's sharing or, or having replicating what you've done to different people, different organizations is just that much better. I believe it. I believe uh, infrastructure as code has helped in the open source community because you don't just open source software; you open source infrastructures now. So um, that's that's just amazing. It is absolutely. So look, if we look at CloudFormation a little bit deeper, so CloudFormation, as we mentioned, is a template. So these templates include several major sections. The resource section is the only required section and subsections in the template, you know, they can be in in any order. However, as you build your template, it can be helpful to use a logical order um, because values in one section might refer to values from a previous section. So if we step through it, you know, there is the format version, there is the description, there's some metadata, so there are parameters, and this is really good here. So you can pass values to your template at runtime when you create or update a stack. And you can reference those parameters from the resources and the output section of the template. So you might have one um, you might have one CloudFormation template, but you might be able to refer, you know, a specific environment. You know, this is my CloudFormation template for application XYZ. And I want to deploy this in my staging environment. So you pass in a parameter of staging and, you know, you can go from there. And that may, you know, reference various different mappings 
So, which is another section here. Yep. So look, um, you can have, uh, you know, mappings of keys associated values. So you can have conditional parameters um, using, you know, like a, an intrinsic map function here. Correct. I mean, this is the fact that you, you, you can make, you can make templates that are very generic and they can be reused in different situations, different environments, different accounts or whatever, just by changing a couple of parameters or even by automatically getting things from a, a mapping and mapping is just a, basically a dictionary of, Hey, if this value, use this value. So yeah, a simple example is use an AMI based off a region. You have a map of AMIs per region. And then if you're in, you know, EU West one, you will use this AMI. If you're in, you know, um, AP Northeast one, you will use that one. So I think that's, that's a, that's a, that's a very powerful part of CloudFormation or CloudFormation templates and CloudFormation templates would be much less valuable without those things. Yeah. And look, you've last two things I want to talk about is resources and output. So look, the resources section specifies the stack resources, their properties. So, you know, it could be an EC2 instance, it could be an S3 bucket and, you know, their outputs, you know, this is optional, but, you know, this can describe the values that are returned when your stack is run. For example, you know, you might have an output for an S3 bucket name or an application load balancer and so on, you know, like your stack's been deployed. Here is the ALB name that is being, you know, put as an output and maybe the next process in your build pipeline, you know, can leverage that ALB. So look, even to this day, when there's other DSLs out there, CloudFormation in my mind is still probably the de facto standard with other solutions often creating CloudFormation as their artifacts. All right, Darko. So I'm speaking about CloudFormation okay. as their artifacts here. I want to talk about CDK, um, mm, you know, okay. We covered it in episode 49 in depth, um, but look, for those who haven't listened and for those who aren't down with CDK, CDK is the AWS Cloud Development Kit. It's an open source software development framework to define your cloud applications using, I guess, resources in familiar programming languages. And we're not talking about, you know, familiar programming languages. CloudFormation is, you know, to its own. It's unique to AWS here. With CDK, you can create you know your aws resources you know using typescript using python you know using you know your favorite language you know cdk is available in lots of different languages here um so you know and it's really powerful because you know if you are using python as an example you know you've got concepts like arrays and loops and more complex logic than what is available in cloudformation and i think the best part that i like about it is the synthesize part darko you know where you can rather quickly compared to cloud formation understand if your stack is going to work and get those required outputs you know a huge advantage here i agree and i mean so you know people 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 tend to kind of i think people tend to misrepresent why cdk is good Um, yeah cdk is great because you can write things in a shorter uh, shorter amount of time it's much more streamlined but what cdk enables you is to take your existing knowledge tools and experience you have built in-house and use that to deploy infrastructure, right? So you can take what you have there. And of course, with all the benefits of generic programming languages, such as uh, testing for one, right? You can do unit, proper unit testing with uh, with CDK running like tools like Jest uh, on, on, your, on your TypeScript code to actually see, are you getting the expected outputs or not? So um, a lot of great things, uh, part of, of CDK. I'm just an absolute fanboy of CDK. Like, and, and, and as you said, it's, it's reliant on CloudFormation. So CDK by itself 
does nothing, right? It, it, it generates cloud formation, uh, but then the cloud formation does the, all the all the heavy lifting and actually provisions uh, your infrastructure, which is great because um, we didn't have to reinvent the wheel there. So we just let CDK, you know, handle the heavy lifting for you, and then CDK let the he- heavy lifting off to cloud formation. Yes, and look, you know, in doing a little bit of research for this show, as I mentioned, uh, you know, we covered this. 20 plus episodes ago when CDK was in its infancy here. So look, for customers who prefer Terraform, and look, when I speak to customers in the field, Terraform, absolutely, you know, very popular DSL for infrastructure as code. There is CDK TF. So it's going to provide those CDK constructs for defining Terraform HCL state files in TypeScript and Python. And, you know, what you know, I can't have a show in 2020 <laughs> and not talk about containers. Yes. And not talk about Kubernetes specifically. So there is the CDK 8S project, which yes. enables you to use CDK constructs for defining Kubernetes configuration in TypeScript, Python, and Java. So you can use CDK 8S um, to define your Kubernetes infrastructure running anywhere, and it can be used with the AWS CDK and you know EKS construct library both CDK 8s and CDK TF though are in mm-hmm. alpha releases so they are not um, you know generally available at this stage yeah I mean you you can you can use them but they're not let's let's call them they're not um, they're not auto alpha so be careful if, you, if you're trying to use it well actually don't use them in production so that, that would be my advice but I, this is also one of the fact, facts I like about CDK is that CDK stands for cloud development kit and it's not AWS development kit, it's cloud development kit because you can actually use both Terraform and Kubernetes to deploy, develop your clouds from proper infrastructure code. So uh, I love I love the fact that we have, um, you know, the, 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 the Terraform CLI and the Kubernetes CLI. So uh, I, I just love that we can, we can give back to the community in such a way, or actually the community can give back to us uh, with creating these things. So a lovely, yeah. lovely. So moving on here, you know, what we're spoken about mainly in my mind applies to mainly traditional services. Now, if your world is serverless, then SAM may be an option. And I'm not talking about, you know, your friend Sam here. <laughs> SAM is the AWS serverless application model. It's an open source framework for building serverless applications. So it provides, you know, effectively the same, uh, you know, Ease of use as what we've just spoken about with CDK yep. and CloudFormation, but it brings this to serverless here. Yeah. So, so okay, go ahead. No, go for it, Darko. Okay. So when I like to call SAM CloudFormation's little brother because it is actually just that. So SAM is in essence very similar to CloudFormation. It just uses additional transformations to abstract a lot of the serverless aspects of, well, a lot of the aspects of CloudFormation to, for, to create serverless applications. So instead of defining a bunch of Lambda scripts and API gateways and all those things, you can actually create um, a resource called a serverless function and it will do all the things for you. It will create permissions and API gateways and and, and methods and all of those things. Basically, you can create a simple serverless application with 20 lines of code. Which is just 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 amazing. Again, it's it's another layer of abstraction on top of CloudFormation, but it helps you out tremendously in reducing the amount of code you want to write. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and look to get started building with Sam, you can use the AWS Sam CLI. Correct. It's going to provide you a Lambda-like execution environment. You can run it locally. Correct. So to build, test, and debug your applications defined by your Sam templates. So these Sam templates are only in YAML. And look, I have to confess here, I'm probably going against the grain of everyone here. I actually prefer JSON over YAML here. Um, so that's just I, me here. Uh, well, so I, I can I can agree with you. To an extent, so YAML itches my nerves when it comes to tab spacing, and you have uh, indentation problems, and YAML just dies. Um, you have no problems with that. You can pass JSON in a single line, and it will work, um, which you cannot do it in, J in, in YAML. So um, I, I, I would say there's pros and cons to both. <laughs> yeah, look, absolutely pros and cons. You know, it's all about choice here. So look, Sam, you know, as you mentioned, for deploying serverless applications, really, really simple. Perfect. You know, Sam CLI, you can even run, you know, your DynamoDB, your Lambda, your step functions, you know, locally be able to, you know, test and run your uh, serverless applications. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, That's the benefit of Sam yeah. CLI. Sam CLI basically wraps your Lambda functions and your API gateways in a Docker container running locally on a workstation. So if you want to have a really quick test, does your uh, Lambda function work? You can just do that. So amazing. Okay. So look, I'm going to pivot back to, you know, this hybrid approach here. So okay. I guess I'd like to understand, you know, our listeners here, you know, what would be the pros? I, I guess I'm going to pivot back, Darko, and talk about, you know, why would I not want to use an all-in AWS solution? You know, uh, we're talking, you know, this is an AWS focused tech chat yep. here. Um, you know, why would I use Terraform as an mm -hmm. example? And I guess, what are the drawbacks of, you know, if my workload is primarily inside AWS, are there any drawbacks to using, uh, say, Terraform over CloudFormation? Yeah, so um, and this, is, this is a question we, we usually get. So, so should I use CloudFormation or Terraform? And the answer is yes. Um, because, to be honest, it doesn't matter too much which one you use as long as you're using it. Uh, infrastructure as code is important that you use something. And... Um, of course, with, with, with Terraform, you have the added benefit that you can actually deploy things to different cloud vendors, uh, different different uh, different hardware vendors even. You can do a lot more things. Uh, Terraform has this, um, has this modularity, has this amount of different modules that you can use for it to, to interact with different things. This is what Terraform brings you. Um, the, 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 the downside of Terraform is that it's not always up to speed with the latest releases on AWS. So sometimes it take, takes a moment for it to catch up, but I wouldn't call that a, a, a critical issue. Now, with that being said, um, CloudFormation last year, I think like a year ago actually, uh, released CloudFormation Registry. Um, CloudFormation Registry is a way, it's, a, um, it's an open source way to develop specific CloudFormation resources. Now, you could have done this before using custom resources, which is basically just a Lambda script that does a bunch of magic, right? To create anything, basically run an API call somewhere, uh, whatever, right? Um, but that was a bit clunky. Now with CloudFormation Registry, you can actually use uh, that registry to, to develop your own resources in Java, Golang, or Python. In essence, you can create a resource like any other in CloudFormation within your account. So like you have AWS, colon, colon, EC2, colon, colon, instance, you can have Darko, colon, colon, factory, colon, colon, unicorn, right? And with that custom resource, you can basically call any API out there and handle all the creation, updates, deletes, deletes and lists with it like any built-in CloudFormation resource. So I think that gives you that kind of um, 
throws this ability of Terraform to do things outside of AWS out of the water. Of course, Terraform does it still a bit more elegantly, but now even CloudFormation can do that. But I'm yeah. always, 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 always for choice. And that's that's something you mentioned here. We work with people who who appreciate choice. So, yeah. It is all about choice here. Um, and I think, you know, if you had to talk about drawbacks, as you mentioned before, that speed, I guess, yeah. to market, you know, often we will release a new feature. You know, there can be yeah. a little bit of latency before third parties often implement it in their, you know, infrastructure as code offerings here. Exactly, exactly. But, so that, that, that's something that's, that yeah. takes a while, potentially. You know, I think any IAC solution is better than no IAC oh, solution. Absolutely. So look, on that note, you know, if I wanted to get started in infrastructure as code, you know, our listeners wanted to get started in infrastructure as code. There's, you know, we've spoken about CDK, there's yep. CloudFormation. We haven't spoken about Ansible. There's Terraform, SAM, PowerShell DSC, heck, even the AWS CLI. Um, configuration side, there's Chef, Puppet. You know, I could keep going on here. Um, where would you start? You know, what would your recommendation be? I, I, this This... I would like to pull up my sign that says it depends, um, but um, that's the best non-answer I, I can give. But in all honesty, uh, it really depends <laughs> on your set of skills. So let's say you are very much skilled in developing in any of the generic programming languages. You do Python, you do TypeScript, you do some of those things. And if you have skills in that, I would highly advise, hey, go for CDK. That will be very approachable. Uh, you will spend less time fussing about how do I do this exactly. And you can just kick it off with all the knowledge you have built in. Just read the documentation and you should be pretty much good to go. Um, when it comes to um, if you don't know any languages, if you're just like a person who scripted from time to time, um, I would say CloudFormation is a great way to start. CloudFormation has this, it's very readable. It's, uh, I would say, especially if you write, write it in YAML, it's it's pretty much straightforward what it does, right? Um and, and I'm always torn between CloudFormation and Terraform in this case because Terraform syntax is so nice. It's so easy to read. It's so beautiful. It's like a mix between JSON and something better. I don't know. It's it's readable JSON. Let's call it that way. So, um, uh, but uh, I, I would say if, if you're an experienced developer, if you're an experienced developer, use CDK or the like. Um, if, if not... Try CloudFormation and Terra or Terraform, uh, depending on, on what you feel more feel feel more comfortable with. Because the ultimate truth is, the best programming language is the one you're good at. So um, um, <laughs> that would be one more thing. But um, yeah, open up your over open up your favorite text editor and just do it. Um, one thing I would say, even if you're launching a single EC2 instance and a single bucket, do it through infrastructure as code. Do it. Just don't click. Take your keyboard. Type it out. You'll thank me later. <laughs> no, I think you're right here. You know, you need that approach, and it's often hard to get your head around. You know, for me initially, it was about look. If I'm going to have to repeat this process time and time again, I will codify it. Yeah. But you often find, though, you know, a lot of what you do is common. So you're going to probably be creating S3 buckets, maybe. You know, not for this project again, but for other projects or building systems here. And I think, you know, you've just got to get that mindset in of, hey, I'm not ever going to RDP into a system or SSH exactly. in. Um, it's, you know, give it a go. And speaking of Terraform, I took a look at 
Darko's Terraform Adventure Part One and Two <laughs> on your channel here. So look, yes. maybe you can. Uh, I'll keep learning from you around Terraform here. Yeah, so I've actually had a like I've, I've I don't have experience with Terraform that much, unlike my my friend Kobus. Um, I've um, I've basically dabbled with it, and I've decided, hey, let me try to learn Terraform live on stream. So I have like four episodes on of like hour and a half long streams where I just try to do th- things in Terraform and explain along the way. So it's pretty fun. If you want to learn, I, I like okay, let me show my content. If you want to learn a lot about the infrastructure as code and CDK and CloudFormation and Terraform and the like. Um, make sure to check out my YouTube channel, which I guess is going to be linked somewhere in the description or something. We will leave this in the description of this episode in the show notes here. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So yeah, you, you can find those things there. But again, um, uh, one thing I, I missed I missed to mention, Shane, is uh, one really hidden feature about infrastructure as code. And not a lot of people think about it when, when we discuss this. Everybody says, oh, it's super fine. It's fast deploying. It's all version controlled. It's, it's self-writing documentation. Um, if you ever had to document what you have deployed and how you can deploy it, you can just have somebody read your YAML file and um, it should mostly be enough. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's really powerful. Uh, absolutely. I you know, couldn't describe that any better. It is, yeah. you know, it is that documentation that yep. is describing your infrastructure here. Yep. It's even Jason, come on, like Jason even is Jason. still pretty readable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, really good point to nail home here. You know, being able to self-describe your infrastructure stack here, version control it as it changes over time, you know, yep, I you can agree. see how your stack evolves. So look, Darko, we have covered infrastructure as code, but I think it's time to wrap this show up. You know, it's okay. been really great. Um, infrastructure as code, such an important concept for advancing your IT maturity, you know, and your IT career. This is a really practical show here. And look, and if these concepts are new to you, research them further, you know, as it's something that will put you in good step for the rest of your career. So in recapping today's show, we took okay. a journey around infrastructure as code and configuration management and talked about some of the core concepts and hopefully demystified many of these topics for you. We answered the question, I guess, so you know, why infrastructure as code? Yep. Spoke about elasticity with infra as code being key here before pivoting and discussing the differences between infrastructure as code versus configuration management. Exactly. We th- Yeah. And look, we then spoke about AWS offerings and talked through, you know, uh, OpsWorks, CloudFormation, CDK, SAM, uh, CDK for Terraform and Kubernetes before talking through offerings in market and most importantly, you know, how you can get started here. Darko, thank you very much for joining myself and the listeners of Tech Chat. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Shane, for the invite. It's been a pleasure talking to you and talking to your listeners or um, yeah, or having me um, scream at the mic about infrastructure as code. I always <laughs> love doing that. So, <laughs> Awesome, awesome, awesome. So look, listeners, keep us honest. Feedback is always welcome and you know it helps drive the direction of this show. So look, with re-event upon us, we're not going to be there this year, but we will do our best to provide our wrap-up in a timely manner. But until next time, bye for now and keep on listening. Bye-bye. Signing off, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting awstechchat.com.